0: Good morning, everybody. I'm going to have to ask you to sit down. Um, Formalities, you know, it's not me. Uh. Okay, I'm Nathaniel. Um, I'm a first year student at William Jessup University, and I will be reading Nehemiah chapter 12, 27 through 43. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the regions around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right toward the dung gate, The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall together with half the people. At the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. On that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away.
1: Thank you, Ethan, Nathaniel. I appreciate you reading that for us today. And uh, so, hey, everybody. Uh, Some of you are back inside for the first time in a few weeks. I know that uh, the air quality is so bad out there that we had to protect you today by bringing you inside. But protect our staff, too, um, because it's so thick out there, the smoke. In fact, uh, I just want to take a minute and uh, just have a prayer, if we can, just for the... uh, people who are in harm's way from our fires, uh, for the uh, firefighters and first responders who are out there. Uh, Just just bow your heads for a minute and let's just take a moment to pray. Give you a chance if you want to pray just silently to yourself for a second. Uh, the news is overwhelming the pictures we see they just cause us to shudder of fire and then of the remains after a fire has gone through and we see the devastation and uh, that we see how uh, crazy these fires have been in these last few storms and how quickly they've developed and how people didn't have time to get out god and Lord, we just pray for uh, families who are hurting, who have lost uh, uh, loved ones, who have lost not only loved ones, but all that they own. And we just want to pray for your comfort, God, that you would uh, be close to them, that they would see you in their pain and in the uh, just surroundings that they're living in, that they would see your mercy and your compassion, God. Lord, I pray that you would help uh, those who have not been affected but live nearby to look for opportunities that they can help and to bring comfort. God, I, uh, it's helpful for us to have the smoke and the oppression that we feel from the smoke uh, because it's a reminder that life isn't normal for certain people right now. And that uh, it helps us to be more compassionate, help us to take our eyes off ourselves, as I wrote about this week, that we can uh, give in to, that we would get not give in to complaining, but we would give in to lamenting, and that's what we're doing right now. We're lamenting, God, that this is not the way it should be. And we're asking you for your deliverance, God. Asking you for your help. And God, I just thank you in advance for what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And uh, pray for our firefighters and our first responders I know that all of our resources across California and the West are stretched thin right now, and so we would pray, Jesus, that you would uh, give them strength, you would protect them from harm and danger, and that you would uh, provide in uh, just a change in weather, an opportunity for the fires to be abated, and then for uh, people to be uh, able to get back into their homes and their environments. God, we thank you, we trust you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, thank you for praying with me. I know that you feel some of the thing, same things I feel as we look around right now at what's going on. So I want to welcome all of you today. I'm Ron Thompson. I get to be one of the pastors here. And so we are going to talk about joy today. Do you, do you need some joy? You really need some joy today? Well, we're going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about an experience that the the people of God had, Uh, where they were able to experience joy we're going to see in one of these verses it talks five different times in one verse about the joy and rejoicing they were experiencing i just want to say this before i start their circumstances were not perfect their circumstances were not in such a way that they would say no we don't have any problems at all no in spite of the chaos that they still lived in they just had a wall completed they still had a long ways to go in spite of all the difficulties they faced they were still able to have joy and i believe that that same goes for us as well so we all want that i think you know we think about joy we think about happiness and kind of with a mixture of those two things uh, as they come together and so even with all our modern devices all the conveniences that we have today, uh, studies show that people are increasingly becoming more and more depressed. Not joyful, not happy. More and more depressed that the more we get of devices and opportunities that are supposed to make our lives easier, it's not making us more happy. Why is that? Well, I just believe that from looking at my own life, this is my own story right now, that the problem is, is that we tend to put unrealistic expectations on our ability to create moments that do little more than just give us short spurts of happiness, short spurts of happiness, some, not something that lasts long time. It's called the law of diminishing returns. that what makes you happy today, and you know as you go through life and you keep having that same experience, you get less and less thrill from it. So you have to add something else in in order to have that thrill. See, the deal is that we're going to look at as we begin today is that happiness and joy are not the same thing. You probably already know that. They're not the same thing. Happiness, by definition, is based upon circumstances. So as long as my circumstances are going my way, then I can be happy. If life happens a certain way, then I am happy. If my happenstances are favorable, then I am happy. In our world, we have happiness at our fingertips. So close but it's just not very deep in our souls. It doesn't go in deep inside. Well, what is joy then? If that's happiness, what is joy? Well, one person I read this week says this about joy, and I love it, especially because we just sang that song, Do It Again. It's such a powerful song about confidence in God. And it says this, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice, hear that, determined choice to praise God in every situation. I love that definition of joy. Uh, I'll send it out this week in my email blast so that you can have that and have access to that as well. But as Julian of Norwich said, joy is the ability to say, All shall be well. All shall be well, even though I don't see how in the moment that it would be that way. Well, that's the kind of joy that we're going to look at today, that kind of experience, to be able to say, all shall be well. So what I want to do is I'm going to go back a little bit I want to remind us a little bit about where we've been in this series so that maybe this is your first time or first time that you're watching us online ever. I just want to, be able to you to be able to really grasp the importance of why these people were able to experience joy in their lives. So I just want to remind you about what's happened so far. So if we know The story, Jerusalem has been terrorized terrorized and ransacked by the nation of Babylon. Those who were the educated, the wealthy, the successful, the leaders, and the creatives, they were all taken captive about 800 miles away from Jerusalem where they were held. The temple that was used to worship God, the temple that they loved, Solomon's temple, had been destroyed, and the walls and the gates of the city had been torn down as well. And the people were left defenseless and without hope. They were refugees in their own land. That's the experience that they were having. Those who left behind, who were left behind, they moved out of the city because the city was not a place of safety any longer. And they moved into the hills and the caves so that they could better protect themselves against marauders who would come against them. And most of them at this point are living outside of the city limits. So the city of Jerusalem itself was basically an empty shell, an empty shell. So several years later, after they were taken into captivity, the Persians defeated the Babylonians and became the reigning nation of the day. King Cyrus of Persia had a whole different philosophy than the Babylonians had, where they would take people from their land, take them back to their land to work for them there. King Cyrus had this different philosophy where he would allow people to stay in their land. Because here's the deal. If they stay in their land, they're going to be more productive and they can pay more in taxes. So there's a whole thing about taxation. And he would allow people to stay in their land. So he began to allow the Jewish people who had been sent into captivity to go back to their home. And so they began these pilgrimages. The first one was with Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel took a group of people and their job was to rebuild the temple so they went back and they got started on rebuilding the temple they didn't quite get it finished and then they lost their motivation and it didn't quite get finished and second group that went was with the leadership of ezra and his job was to go back and get the temple finished And Ezra did that. They got the temple finished, but that's kind of where Ezra lost his steam as well. And so they had the temple finished, but still people weren't coming into the city to enjoy the temple because the walls and the gates were not completed. And so God moves on a man named Nehemiah, shows him the devastation of his city, and Nehemiah was ripped in his heart, and he said, I'll go, God. I'll go for you. I'll go and repair the walls and the gates. What they'd been seeing is that, as they looked at this, is that the city and the walls were devastated, the people were demoralized, and the task was daunting. And Nehemiah said, I'll go. And he took a group of people, and he went back to to help rebuild the walls and the gates. And we know, as we look through the story, that they were actually able to do this in 52 days, which was a miracle. It was a heroic construction project that required determination, courage, grit, and faith. They all had that. But after the wall was rebuilt, so Nehemiah knew. Here he's here's the guy. They built, rebuilt the wall. He knew, in his heart, he knew that God's people now must be rebuilt from the inside. Because it was what from the ins, was on the inside that was going to allow them to be able to withstand the temptations and the peoples that were coming against them. So then what we've seen, the wall was completed in chapter 6, so then what we've seen from chapter 7 through 10 is that Nehemiah began preparing the hearts of the people been working on the hearts of the people so that they would be in alignment with God's heart and plan. Three weeks ago, David Thames talked through chapter 7 through 8, and he talked about how God's people chose to build their lives on the Word of God, that they would say the Word of God comes first, and we're going to build our lives on that. Two weeks ago, we looked at Nehemiah chapter 9, and in that section, we realized that Nehemiah had called his people to confession. To come before God and admit that they had not been obedient to him and that they had turned away from him. And then last week, Pastor Mark took us through this chapter 10, and it all talks about the power of commitment. Today what we're going to do is we're going to take two more chapters, chapters 11 and 12. So you have your Bible, you can open up there to chapters 11 and 12. If you have your message notes, you can go ahead and have them handy online. You can take notes as well. You'll be able to follow along chapters 11 through 12. Now, we're not going to cover everything. You're going to see in a minute why that we're not going to do that, but we're going to focus today on the power of joyful celebration. So in today's vernacular, this is the after party. This is what happens after the wall has been finished, and they're going to celebrate what God has done. So the people have come clean they've come clean before God, they've confessed their sin, they've made a commitment to Him and His Word as we did last week, where we actually signed our name on a piece of paper saying we're going to obey God and His Word, we're going to lead our families toward God and His Word, that we are going to to be faithful to God and His Word, and we're going to be generous generous to invest in God and His Word. That's what we did last week. So now they've done this, they've signed on the dotted line, and they're about to say, okay, let's just return to daily life, let's go back to the way that it was, let's get busy doing what we need to do to make the city to be prosperous and bring back all the good old days that we can bring back into the city and its life. And Nehemiah, he was a smart man. He knew that right now they needed to stop, that they didn't need to step forward and say, "Now let's get busy. That's it. Let's just get busy for God." He knew that right now what they needed to do is they needed to stop and they had a moment where they praised God, where they went to God and they thanked God where they worshiped God for what he had done in their lives, they needed a moment of joyful celebration. They needed to have a party for what God had done and how he had used them. So folks, here's what happens. Joy happens when we slow down and get in God's presence for extended periods of time. Joy happens when we slow down. And Get into God's presence for extended periods of time. We have to train our souls for joy. It's not natural I know I've been actively following Jesus. I counted it up the other day for 38 years now and I find that I still have to work for joy I still have to work for it. I love how Charles Spurgeon the great 19th century pastor once put it to his students He said this when you speak of heaven let your face light up. He says, when you speak of hell, well, your everyday face will work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, So one of the things I, lo- I love about that quote is that obviously things don't change. You know? So in today's world, I would say to a lot of followers of Jesus, you need to let, think of heaven and shine. And stop thinking of hell so much because your face looks like you think you're going there or somebody else is around you. There were sour-faced followers of Jesus back in that, their day, just like there's sour-faced followers of Jesus today. Folks, we should be the most contagiously joyful people on earth. We should be. So what we're going to look at today is key ingredients of joy as we walk our way through this story. I'm going to pull them out for us so that we can see in this story how joy is essential. Joy as the joy is essential. If I'm going to be able to live a sustained life of joy, I have to have that joy. So where do we get joy? Well, according to Nehemiah 8:10, it says this. I don't think we covered this when we went through Nehemiah 8. It's a great place to jump in today. It says, "The joy of the Lord is your strength." Does it say you have to work this up? Does it have to say that it's all up to you and what you do? Does it say that God doesn't want you to have joy? It's all the positive stuff about what God wants and that he will be your strength. God's a good God. I remember last week I said it this way from some friends of mine who said, uh, told me that God is good and he's never in a bad mood. He's good. He's a good God. He's full of joy and he wants us to know him and he wants us to be filled with his joy. So joy is both the source and the product of our relationship with God. Joy is derived from God and all that he provides. And we find our greatest joy when we understand and experience who God is and are in his presence. Jonathan Edwards was a great 18th century pastor. He was leader of one of the great awakenings in our country. And this is what he says about joy. He says the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here, better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are all but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but shattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Enjoyment of God is the only source of happiness. Being able to come before God and to be able to enjoy Him. So now I'm just going to dig into these verses that Ethan read to us just a moment ago. I'm going to make four observations, and we're going to run through all of portions of Chapter 11 and 12, as we look at four characteristics of joyful people that I want to invite you to join in with me that we would engage in these characteristics so that we could become more joyful and have smiling faces as well that are real and not plastic. First thing is this. Joyful people willingly serve God. They willingly serve God. So we're only going to do two verses from chapter 11 because when chapter 3... Through the rest of the chapter, it's a list of names. We'll talk about what that means in just a moment. But the first two verses say this. Now, the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots. Okay, so the leaders, they have to re-inhabit, repopulate the city. So the leaders, they say, okay, we'll move back in from, you know, the places that we had established our homes outside of the city. They moved back into Jerusalem. The rest of the people, all those who were still outside the city, they cast lots. That's kind of like a lottery, as the way they listened to, for God in that day. They cast lots uh, to bring one out of every ten. So they tithed them themselves, so to speak. They said, one out of every ten will move into Jerusalem. And so the way that you knew whether it was you or not is you got the short straw. And so you were called by God then to move back into the town. While the, oh, by the way, Jerusalem, the holy city, let's not forget that, the holy city. While the remaining nine were to stay in their own homes. So they weren't forced to have to move into town, but they could still stay out into their homes because they were still, they had crops that they had planted, they had lives that they had established, and businesses that they were running, and family they had to care for, so they needed to stay out so they could do that. The people commended all those who. Volunteered. Underline that word, volunteered, to live in Jerusalem. So there's another group of people, besides the leaders, besides those who got the short end of the stick, there's another group of people that volunteered and said, we're going to go live in the city. So essentially what's happening is the, the walls are bit, built, but the city has to be rebuilt. Jerusalem has to be repopulated now because it was really just a shell. Because most of the people found it safer at this point to live outside the city than in the city. The walls were finished, but the people didn't come back to the city. And so they were up against this predicament. And the predicament was that there just weren't enough people living in Jerusalem to sustain it. So they could move forward and be the city that everyone knew that it needed to be. And so, that word volunteered, it's a key word I want to focus in for just a moment. It comes from a Hebrew word that means they willingly committed. They weren't forced, they weren't coerced. I don't even know, they may not have even been asked. But there was a group of people who said, We willingly commit to serve our God by moving back into Jerusalem, even though that's probably not in our best interest but it's in best interest of everyone else as they came in. It was time for God's holy city to be filled with God's holy people. And so, folks, I just think that's so important for us to think about our, where we stand in this. One of the reasons that we don't have joy, honestly, is that we spend too much time thinking about ourselves. We t- spend too much time focusing on me and what I need, what I want, how things are going in my life how I wish it wasn't this way. And so we spend more time focusing on what we need and how everybody else should come around and take care of me and meet my needs. But true joy that we see here, because it's going to exude out as we get into chapter 12. True joy is found when people choose to say, I'm going to use my life and resources to serve others, to serve others. True joy is found when I realize that I am a conduit of God's love, not a reservoir of God's love, that I'm here to share it and give it out. And I'm going to serve God's purposes, engage and experience, so others can engage and experience God's grace. I'll just tell you, some of the most joy-filled people I know are folks who serve God's purposes willingly and freely. And, you know, I'm just looking at two people right now, I'm looking at Judy Wade and Karen Abbott. Welcome, Karen. We're glad to have you with us today. Uh, and visiting here but there are two ladies right there that um, exude joy and uh, they've been here for a long time judy much longer than karen been part of our church for a long time but everywhere they go they say what can i do to help every time there's a need they say i'll help to meet that need and you know what they laugh a lot they have so much joy. And I just want to say thank you to you ladies. I just want to say thank you for your service and what you do. They are examples for all of us about what can happen when we choose to give our way, ourselves away freely. So now, with verse 3 all the way through chapter 12, verse 26, Nehemiah lists a group of people that all moved into Jerusalem to help it become the city that God wanted it to be, the holy city, to inhabit it. These are people that in this whole list, I want you to read this this week sometime from chapter 11, verse 3, all the way from chapter 12, 26, and read this list of people. These are people who were willing to give up their comfort and safety and security so that they could move into the city and serve God and his people. And I believe God honored them for all time by putting their names in his word, in his book, for us to read. It's just a reminder for every one of us today because sometimes service can feel like we're unnoticed. Serving can feel like no one really was grateful. But what we see here is that God's grateful and that he wrote, wrote the names down so they could remember for all time. And then we began in chapter 12, verse 27, and we see that the people come in and gather to that now they're going to all come in and they're going to have this big party to uh, celebrate God for what he had done. So here's what happened. Nehemiah, he was a great leader. In fact, many of the a uh, series that I studied for this series about Nehemiah, they all talked about his leadership. And so, you know, their leadership schools. And there are lessons about Nehemiah's leadership. Well, here's one time that he was an exceptional leader, is that he knew that if they were going to party, they needed to plan it. So when we look at what happens next, you're going to see it required a lot of planning for it to be carried out in the way that it d- did and the way that it happened. we're going to see, and in the process, we're going to see more characteristics of joyful people. So first is they willingly served God. Second is this they passionately celebrated God. They passionately celebrated God. Joyful people passionately celebrate God. Now, I don't think that means that they that everyone has to woo, 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 through life. Some of you do. But there're some of us who are more introverted, and so we passionately celebrate God this way. So there you go. So it's, there's a passion. It's what's happening on the inside that's the most important thing. So here we go, verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate what? Joyfully. The dedication with songs of thanksgiving. And with music of cymbals and harps and lyres, the musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem. So they didn't have, the first thing they didn't think of was we had to bring all the musicians in the band first. The first thing they did, they brought all the people together first. And they would be able to worship and they sang songs and they used musical instruments as an expression of their celebration. Then what are they celebrating? They're celebrating the rebuilding of the wall and the restoration of Jerusalem, and God's faithfulness. That's what they're celebrating. It goes on to say this. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, so they're going to have this purification ceremony before the party actually began, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. just want to pause right there. I want to make just a comment here. So the priests and the Levites, They set aside themselves. We don't know exactly what it means when they said they purified themselves. There are all kinds of purification rites as you look through the Old Testament. We're not sure exactly what they did. But I'll bet you confession was part of it, as we've already talked about, where they confessed their inadequacies before God. And I think that's why we talked about that two weeks ago and why it was so important. But they knew that they needed to be ready for the worship celebration that they were going to be able to engage in. They needed to to be clean in order to meet with a holy God. Uh, and so, by the way, this is just not information that's being shared here. It's about them all being dedicated to God. So, basically, what they're saying here, they're saying the priests and the Levites, those in charge, had purified themselves. So, first thing is this they purified themselves. So, we all want to purify ourselves. First, purify ourselves. And then they purified the people. So, now they purified others. So they went through a part of being able to have confession for and purification for other people. And then they purified the gates and the walls. This is be their work. So I purify myself, purify others, and I purify my work. And then I'm ready now to come before God to celebrate what he's actually done. So this is what he says. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was proceed on top of the wall to the right... "'Toward the dung gate, Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah followed them. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them.'" Nehemiah was a smart guy, right? The, the other one went through the dung gate. He says, "'Ah, I think I'll go this way,' and went the other way. "'I followed them on top of the wall together with half the people.'" So in Nehemiah, what he did is he instructed all the people to, to split up into two groups. They had two choirs, and they began marching around the wall. Now, we've studied this wall. We understand that it was anywhere from 8 to 15 feet wide, and so there were many people on top, and I would say there were so many people that came in because there's about 120,000 people living in the region right now. And so they all came, and some were on, down under the wall, some were on top of the wall, and they started marching. Here's a drawing of the wall. And so they began at the valley gate. And so they began here. And so they started, split up into two groups. And one group went this way. And that's where Nehemiah chose not to go. This is toward the dung gate. And then the one group went this way and then up this direction. And Nehemiah and his group went this way. And they went up. And they all came up and they gathered somewhere around the temple. I, can't, I didn't really have a drawing that showed me exactly how they would do this, but they all started gathering somewhere in this region. So this is where they ended up. So we want to talk about just for a little bit. That's exactly what happened. And I believe that, okay, so they are going uh, around the wall, and I believe that, um, that they are filled with, a, with emotion right now. So I think even the introverts among them were going, Woo! Look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. Look at what God is doing. And they had passion and emotion because they were humbly admitting in their passion and their emotion that they could not have done this without God. It was only because of God that it was possible. Here's what I also believe. As they're walking and they're singing and they're praising, I also believe this. I believe that as they marched and they sang and they praised to God, that there were times where certain people would come and they would say, that's my section that's where i worked that's where my family worked and then they were moved in an even deeper way to know that they had been part of the work of god that he had used them in that time to bring about his will and it wasn't like they were looking oh look at what i did but it was like god look at what you did look at how you used me and that brings us to this third characteristic of people who know joy is this. Joyful people sacrificially worship God. They sacrificially worship God. So the two choirs, beginning verse 40, that gave thanks, then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials as well as the priests. And on that day, they offered, you underline this, great sacrifices rejoicing great sacrifices rejoicing because god had given them great joy the women and children also rejoiced the sound of rejoicing in jerusalem could be heard far away so that ends this time with a loud time of sacrifice as they're rejoicing in what god has done they were experiencing great joy you don't rejoice if you don't feel great joy in your soul They were rejoicing, and they were doing it with such abandon that all their neighbors could hear. I forgot to mention when they were going around the wall that one of the things they might have been thinking is, especially those who were on top of the wall, they were able to look around, and they were able to see their enemies. They were able to see the ones that would come against them from the top of the wall, and they were feeling like confident in what God had done in them what God was doing in them and through them. And now they're rejoicing and they're making such a raucous noise that everyone around, everyone in the region could hear as they're worshiping God. Can you imagine the fear that came over the enemies of God as they heard the passionate celebration and sacrificial worship of God's people? But I want you to catch this because this is where I think Americans, American Christians get stuck. It says that their worship was sacrifice. It was sacrificial in nature. Do you know that when we come to worship, as important as it is, it's ultimately not about us? Do you know that? It's not about us. It's about who? It's about God, it's about Him. And a big part of my worship and our worship will include sacrifice. It's a time when I come before God and I give up my agenda, my preferences, my rights, my comforts, my tradition, my need, my style, my place. And I simply abandon it all. And I give all to God. And I give all to Him. Because He is worthy. He is worthy. So this weekend, for some of you... This is a really important weekend. This is the beginning of the the official beginning of football season. So I know it's going to be different, but it's the official beginning of football season. So uh, I saw an article on Friday in the newspaper. Let me just show it to you here. Let me show it to you. So these are two fans. you know Kansas City played on Thursday night and romped by the way. Uh, Mahome's awesome uh, so Uh, and, And so there's two fans, they're coming into the game and they're wearing, notice they're wearing masks and they're ready for the game. And notice the headline. If we want to enjoy football, we have to sacrifice. If we want to enjoy our football, we have to sacrifice. So I just want to, draw some correlation here these are people who worship at the altar of the brown pigskin (laughs) and here's what they say those who go to worship at the brown pigskin they say this is what they say if we want to enjoy our football we have to sacrifice We have to sacrifice. My question is this. What are we willing to sacrifice in order to worship our God? What are we willing to sacrifice in this time of COVID to worship our God? What are we willing to give up? Could it be called that we're called to give up for a season? The way things have always been done before the way that we're most comfortable, the way that we like it most. And for this season, we're called to worship God in different ways because God wants us to be sacrificial in our worship. And when we are there, we can experience great joy. Okay, fourth observation is this. Joyful people generously thank God. They generously thank God. We're going to jump down to verses 44 through 46. And it says this At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storeroom for the contributions, first fruits, and tithes. From the fields around the town, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification as did also the musicians and gatekeepers according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the, kingdom, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise and underline this, thanksgiving. Eight times in the verses we've read today it said that the people gave thanks. The people gave thanks the emphasis here is so strong on Thanksgiving that it's part of their worship. It's part of their experience. And they sing. at least six times, that they, eight times that they actually sang. Uh, and rejoicing. They rejoice seven times, it says. And what do you think they're singing and rejoicing about? God and what God has done. And they were being grateful and thankful for him. They were singing songs of gratitude and praise for what God had done and who he was. And so, folks, I just believe that if we're going to walk forward with joyful celebration in our culture right now, that we have to spend every day with moments of thanksgiving. And I, I believe the challenge for me is, and I, I, the Holy Spirit lives in my house, and so I believe that the, the, the challenge for me about this is that Kim looks at me every day and says, what, first thing in the morning, she'll say, what are you grateful for? I'm grateful I woke up. <laughs> and I'm grateful you're asking me that question because you helped me get my eyes off myself and the difficulties around me. And so I believe that what God calls us to is to a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And so I just want to ask, what are you thankful for? How are you thankful for the way that God's worked in your life? How has God brought you to where you are? Would you spend time thinking about thinking about him and thanking him for what he's done in your life? Even though you may not be super pumped about where your life is right now, God is sovereign. He's still in control, and God has you where you are for his for this season, for his reason. And those last verses, they kind of show, they kind of bring it down to, as the people readied themselves for the future, that they started giving of themselves, giving of their resources to God and his kingdom, so that his kingdom would be carried out. So what we see in this story is this, God's people experienced great joy and rejoiced in their souls as they served the Lord with gladness, as they celebrated the Lord with gladness, as they worshiped the Lord with gladness, and as they thanked the Lord with gladness. I'm ask you to bow your heads and let's close in a prayer. God, I just want to thank you so much for this opportunity to be challenged. and this has been such a challenge for me uh, and this concept of joy and leaning into you and trusting you with my circumstances and my situation, and to you're in charge, you're sovereign. And then there's the song saying, that we sang today knowing that you are faithful. As many times I walked around these walls, they haven't fallen yet, is what the song said, and said, I still am trusting you. I'm still trusting in your faithfulness, God, because I believe that you will do what you've done in the past again. And God, that, that creates this anticipation inside of us. And so I pray today, God, that you would help us. Where do we need to be serving your kingdom? Where do we need to be giving of ourselves and so that others can see that you are real and alive as people are willing to get outside of themselves and to give themselves away to others? God, would you show us in our hearts and souls, how can we need to be celebrating, passionately celebrating the things that you've done? And where's this thing about sacrificial worship? Can you help us to see... Even as we're going through this season of COVID with restrictions, what's our attitude towards those restrictions as opposed to worshiping God with sacrifice? And then lastly, just where would you show us that we would want to give thanks to you, God? Thank you, God. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.